This is the emdocs.net podcast with Britt Long and Manny Singh. We bring you high-yield content about what you're seeing every day in the ED. Depending on where you work, you might feel super comfortable with the topic that we're going to talk about today. That's alcoholic ketoacidosis. This is a syndrome defined by alcohol use and ketoacidosis. It's more commonly found in patients who use alcohol on a more chronic basis, but it can be seen in those who are binge drinkers. Alcoholic ketoacidosis was first described in 1940 by a case series of nine patients with ketoacidosis and chronic alcohol use without diabetes. There have been numerous case reports of alcoholic ketoacidosis since that time, mainly in patients with a history of chronic alcohol use who then stopped drinking. This was followed by severe nausea and vomiting abdominal pain, and then also ketoacidosis. Let's start with some epidemiology. Unfortunately, it's kind of tough to pin down how many patients with alcoholic ketoacidosis present to the ED on an annual basis. There are around 15 million patients over the age of 12 who have alcohol use disorder. Only about 7% of these patients with alcohol use disorder receive treatment for the disorder on an annual basis. Alcoholic ketoacidosis has a variable presentation, and unfortunately, it's probably underdiagnosed. Current studies do demonstrate an equal incidence of alcoholic ketoacidosis in men and women. One study suggested higher rates of the disease among patients with slow metabolizing alcohol dehydrogenase enzymes who drink whiskey, who have baseline hypoglycemia, have lower BMI, or those who smoke. Other studies suggest that alcoholic ketoacidosis might actually be associated with increased risk of mortality, with alcoholic ketoacidosis accounting for around 7% of deaths in patients with alcohol use. That was the epidemiology. Let's talk a little bit about pathophysiology, and I promise to keep this brief. There are several underlying components. First is reduced glycogen in nutritional stores. Second is increase in NADH. And finally is volume depletion. Patients with chronic alcohol use often have poor dietary intake and don't get a lot of nutrition. This causes a starvation state with decreased insulin secretion and increased production of glucagon, growth hormone, and catecholamines. This in turn results in production of free fatty acids that can result in ketone bodies. The metabolism of alcohol also contributes to reduced glucose availability and ketosis. Alcohol metabolism generates NADH from NAD. This elevated NADH to NAD ratio has several issues. Elevated NADH interferes with mitochondrial activity, suppresses gluconeogenesis, increases ketoacid production, increases conversion of acetoacidic acid to beta-hydroxybutyrate, and increases conversion of pyruvate to lactate. Finally, alcohol is also associated with volume depletion due to poor oral intake and vomiting. Alcohol also directly inhibits ADH secretion, which decreases free water reabsorption. All these issues, including the reduced glycogen stores, the increased NADH, and the volume depletion result in AKA with anion gap, metabolic acidosis, ketosis, and then reduced glucose availability. Most patients of AKA occur in a patient with poor nutritional status who have long-standing alcohol use or a binge drinking episode accompanied by sudden decreased oral intake. The most common precipitants are infection and pancreatitis, but there are some other issues that can cause reduced oral intake, and we need to think about these. These include intra-abdominal pathologies like cholecystitis, appendicitis, obstruction, 
mesenteric ischemia, and then alcohol withdrawal, diabetic ketoacidosis, and other toxic congestions. The most common presentation is a patient with a history of alcohol use, poor nutrition, and then they stop drinking with the development of GI symptoms. The most frequent symptoms include nausea and vomiting in about three-quarters of patients, abdominal pain in about 40 to 75% of patients, and then also abdominal tenderness in about, again, three-quarters of patients. Patients may also have evidence of volume depletion like tachypnea, tachycardia, and hypotension, but there really aren't clear data providing exact numbers here. Patients are usually alert with normal mental status despite the ketoacidosis. If you have a patient and they come in with nystagmus, oculomotor dysfunction, dysmetria, ataxia, memory impairment, or significant altered mental status, these signs should make you think about Wernicke encephalopathy. Labs should include a VBG, ketone body assessment, hopefully with a beta-hydroxybutyrate, renal function, liver function, and then electrolytes. One of the primary defining factors is the anion gap metabolic acidosis with ketosis. This comes from the lactate and ketone body production, predominantly consisting of beta-hydroxybutyrate. Severe lactic acidosis over 4 is not common in AKA. This suggests another condition like sepsis, impaired liver function, thiamine deficiency, or even a seizure. Many of these patients are going to have a mixed acid-based disorder. Less than a quarter of patients with AKA have an anion gap metabolic acidosis alone. Mixed anion gap metabolic acidosis with respiratory alkalosis can be present in about a quarter of patients. Metabolic alkalosis with metabolic acidosis and respiratory alkalosis can be present in over 25% because of vomiting and tachypnea. The diagnosis of ketosis primarily includes detection of ketone bodies within the serum or urine. Unfortunately, if you use a test based on the acetoacetate form, you may not pick up the ketosis. Remember, the primary ketone body here is beta-hydroxybutyrate. The classic picture of alcoholic ketoacidosis is a patient who has serum alcohol levels that are low or undetectable. However, serum alcohol levels might be elevated in patients who have chronic use. One study found that over 80% of patients with AKA had alcohol levels over 100 mg per deciliter. I haven't talked about toxic alcohols yet, but you do need to think about these. These patients will come in with an anion gap metabolic acidosis, but they typically don't cause ketosis. If you have a patient with a serum bicarb that's less than 10, a pH of less than 7, a lactate over 4, or an elevated osmol gap, you need to think about these. Patients with a toxic alcohol ingestion will typically present with altered mental status and then also severe end-organ injury. Serum glucose levels are usually low or normal, but they might be elevated. One study found that 12% of patients with AKA had a serum glucose level less than 60. However, about 11% had a serum glucose level over 250. Because of the poor oral intake, the poor nutrition, and the urinary losses, we're also going to have several electrolyte disorders. You might see hyponatremia, low potassium, low magnesium, and also low phosphate. Other lab findings include elevated BUN and creatinine because of dehydration and then also a mild elevation of liver enzymes. Finally, let's get to management. Patients with AKA require fluid resuscitation, repletion of glucose and electrolytes, symptomatic therapy with antiemetics, and then we need to address any underlying etiology like sepsis or an intra-abdominal pathology. Start your IV resuscitation with balanced fluids or normal saline. Normal saline might contribute to a hyperchloremic, non-anion gap metabolic acidosis 
so I prefer to use balanced fluids. If hyponatremia is present, you'll want to use an isotonic fluid containing dextrose. Dextrose is very important here, especially if the patient is hypoglycemic or normal glycemic. It repletes serum glucose, increases insulin secretion, and decreases glucagon secretion. All of this reduces the synthesis of ketone bodies and resolves the ketoacidosis. So basically, dextrose improves the serum pH and stops the ketoacidosis. If the patient has severe hypoglycemia, either they have symptoms from hypoglycemia or they have a serum glucose less than 60, then give them one amp or give them dextrose 10%, 100 to 250 milliliters. If the patient does not have severe hypoglycemia, then first check your serum potassium levels. Dextrose in this setting can increase insulin secretion and result in severe hypokalemia. If they're normal glycemic or mildly hypoglycemic and they have a potassium over 3.5, then give them dextrose 5% after the initial fluid resuscitation. Patients with AKA and hyperglycemia should receive an insulin infusion rather than dextrose alone, which will help with the resolution of ketoacidosis. Most of these patients are going to need electrolyte repletion as well with potassium, magnesium, and phosphate if it's low. Thiamine is also really important here because it can shunt pyruvate back into the Krebs cycle. We recommend providing a dose of 200 milligrams IV along with dextrose administration. However, you don't need to delay dextrose just to get the thiamine on board. If you're concerned about Wernicke encephalopathy, then that patient is going to need 500 milligrams three times per day IV. Repeat electrolyte and glucose levels every one to two hours to look for electrolyte changes and resolution of the ketoacidosis. You're looking for a pH over 7.35 and a bicarbonate over 18. Sodium bicarbonate therapy is usually not necessary as most of these patients will improve with supportive therapy. Once the patient does improve, then offer addiction support services to get these patients on the road to recovery. If the patient is able to eat and tolerate oral fluids, They've had resolution of their ketoacidosis and electrolyte abnormalities, and they have improved volume status, they might be discharged with follow-up. However, if they don't meet these criteria or there's some other underlying etiology, they'll likely need admission. Let's end with some complications. We already talked about the volume depletion and electrolyte abnormalities, but these patients may also experience cardiac dysrhythmias. We also need to be on the lookout for hypothermia, rhabdomyolysis, pancreatitis, infection, seizure, and delirium tremens. In summary, alcoholic ketoacidosis occurs in patients with a history of alcohol use, poor oral intake, and ketoacidosis. Patients usually have a history of chronic alcohol use, but they may be binge drinkers. They usually present with nausea, vomiting, and abdominal pain. Patients are typically dehydrated, and serum glucose can be low, normal, or mildly elevated. An anion gap, metabolic acidosis with ketosis, and electrolyte abnormalities are usually present on our laboratory evaluation. Management includes fluid resuscitation, glucose and vitamin supplementation with thiamine, electrolyte repletion, and evaluation for other conditions. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. 